Okay, there it is. Well, welcome to everyone here. Welcome to everyone on social media. Hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas. And uh, hey, let's, uh, let's get into the Word of God. Let's go to Daniel, the seventh chapter. Daniel, the seventh chapter and uh, the ninth verse. As they bring the lights up here, Daniel, the seventh chapter. Thank you. And the ninth verse. Daniel says, he said, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days, now that's God who is, is the judge, uh, was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. We have a scene of a courtroom here, don't we? And God is the judge sitting on the throne and the court was seated and the books were opened. And then in Isaiah 55 verse 7... The Bible says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now with all the talk of pardons in the news currently, I felt impressed of the Lord to speak about this subject this morning. What many people don't realize is that there is a massive legal aspect to the way God operates and the way he sees things. And you see it right here in the opening passages. And actually there's a a massive legal aspect to the way the kingdom of God runs and operates. Again, as seen in the opening passages from Daniel and throughout the entirety of the Old and New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, testament is a legal term or covenant, sometimes called covenant or testament. And so right there in the Old Covenant or Old Testament, New Covenant, New Testament, the word covenant or testament is a legal term. Now, there are many judgments mentioned in the Bible, but today I want to center in on the most important judgment, that which pertains to heaven and hell. Now, the the legal aspect of the kingdom of God has everything to do with where human beings will spend eternity. So with that in mind, let's look at Genesis 2, verse 17. And again, we need to realize as you turn there that the Bible is, is full of, of, of legal aspects, legal things. A lot of folks don't realize that. With pardons in the news, I thought it was just be good to talk about. Felt impressed of the Lord. In Genesis 2 verse 17, notice this. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now this is in the Garden of Eden and God had told Adam and Eve they can eat of all the trees of the garden. But he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now in the word die, there is a criminal sentencing. So if they eat of this tree, there's going to be a criminal sentencing. As you study the Bible, we're talking about legal things here today. Legal aspect of the Bible. And he said of all the trees you can eat, but he gave them one rule that they could not break. He said that if you eat of it, you shall die. And as again, as I, as I said, as you study the Bible, you see in that word die. Now much we could say about that word die, but... There is a criminal sentencing that went along with it. And that criminal sentencing was complete separation from God for eternity in hell, or we could say the lake of fire. 
And this was God's righteous judgment upon mankind for breaking his law. And it's interesting as you study the Bible, 1 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but you can read it sometime. In 1 Timothy, the Bible said that Adam was not deceived in the transgression in the Garden of Eden. Now you think about that. Now, now Eve was deceived, but, but Adam was not deceived. He knew full well. How many of you know Adam was smart? He named all the animals, didn't he? He understood what this meant to eat of the tree and he, would, he, he and all mankind would die. He, he, he understood what that meant. He was not deceived. He knew what this was going to inflict upon him and his wife if they ate of that tree. But yet he did it anyway. Think about that. He was not deceived. He knew full well what he was doing when he ate of that tree. He was breaking God's law. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, says that just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. See, when Adam and Eve sinned and they broke God's law, it didn't just inflict an eternal sentence on them, but it inflicted an eternal sentence on all mankind. And that sentence being ultimate separation from God in hell. Now that's not good. And the Bible says in the book of Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That would include you and me. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I've only missed it in one place here, maybe sinned a little here or sinned a little there. Did you know that the book of James says that if you kept the whole of God's law, but just missed it in one area that you're guilty of the whole thing? Now, a lot of people don't realize that. And then in the book of Romans, it goes on to say there's none righteous, no, not one. All the world is guilty before God. That includes you and me. And then the book of Galatians says that the scripture itself, the Bible itself, God himself declares that we are all prisoners of sin. So. Just after the first page of my notes, would you agree that we're all in a lot of legal trouble with God? It's plain and simple. Because of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, and they sinned and missed it, and it affected them, and it affected all of us, and we all uh, stand guilty before Almighty God. So we're going to need some help. We're going to need some legal terminology and a very good attorney to get us out of this terrible situation. I used to tell my wife that if, any, if she ever found out I was arrested, that she needed to call Johnny Cochran. <laughs> and, 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 you know who he is. And he got O.J. off. Now, now then, then I told her, I said, if he dies, call Jerry Spence. Now, you may not know who, who, who he is, but I think he's dead now. So I'm running out of attorneys. I don't know who we call now. But, uh, but you know, as it pertains to the Bible, legally, we're in a lot of trouble. After Adam and Eve sinned, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed it. We're in a lot of trouble before God. So we need some legal terminology and a very good attorney to get us out of this terrible situation. So what I did is I went to the Internet and, and I looked up one, one side. I went and I looked up. It was called clearupmyrecord.com. Now, how many of you would agree that before God, we need to get our record cleared after what Adam and Eve did? We've all sinned and missed it. Is there anybody in here who hasn't sinned and missed it? I mean, we've all missed it. 
We're all in trouble. So I, I thought I, 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 all this legal terminology that's been going on in the news, you know, lately with pardons and other things, I was just kind of interested to look up these, some of these legal terms and then apply them to the Bible, which is what we're going to do as we go on here. So I went to the internet. I looked up clearupmyrecord.com as well as a few other sites to check out, as I said, some of these legal terms in our, in our justice system here in the United States. Now, I'm not a legal scholar, and I'm going to keep these terms very simple because they can get very complicated. But I want to talk about clemency, reprieve, commutation, pardon, and expungement. Now, those are five words. You may have heard these on the news. I'm going to keep them very simple for you. Clemency, reprieve. Uh, commutation, pardon, and expungement. You, if you've been listening to the news at all, you've probably heard some of these words. I know you've heard pardon, but they've been talking about clemency, reprieve, these other words. So let me just, as simple as I can, kind of give you a, a, a definition of each of these, and then we'll apply this to see how it, it you know, affects us in, 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 as it pertains to the Word of God. Clemency. Clemency is a broad term used for reducing the penalties of a crime. So clemency is like a broad term. It's a broad term used for reducing the penalties of a crime. Now, if you were convicted of something, and how many of you know we've all been convicted before God, we're all guilty, we need some clemency. Would you agree? We, we, we need the reducing of the penalties of a crime. So that's what clemency is. And there are several methods through which clemency can be granted. First of all is a reprieve. Is a reprieve. A reprieve. A reprieve is clemency, which is a temporary halting or delay of punishment for further analysis. For example, for example, a criminal facing the electric chair and they, they get a reprieve from the governor. You know, the governor calls and says, you know, stop, put a stay on it. It's a, you know, don't execute the guy. See, a reprieve is a temporary halting of punishment for further analysis. Now, a commutation is another form of clemency. And what a commutation does, it reduces the harshness of a sentence to either part, uh, it reduces the harshness of a sentence either partially or totally. For example, reducing the death penalty to life in prison. Or um, maybe you're supposed to serve life in prison, but you get a commutation and you only have to serve 10 years. Well, that'd be a good deal, wouldn't it, if you had to be in there for life and, and you got a commutation which means maybe they reduce it to 10 years. Or would it be even good if you got a commutation and, and your time was reduced to, to zero? You didn't have to serve any at all. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So that, see, a commutation, it, see, see that, that's, that is a, a, a uh, reducing of the harshness of a sentence. And then you have what's called a pardon. A pardon. A pardon is another form of clemency. That forgi now watch this, that forgives a person of a crime and prevents any current or further prosecution and removes any penalties or punishments. Now that's a real good deal. A pardon is a real good deal. It also restores your civil rights. So that's good too. And uh, it's interesting because a lot of people don't understand the difference between a commutation and a pardon. See, they're both forms of clemency, but a good way to remember it is this. A commutation reduces a sentence, whereas a pardon forgives the sentence. A commutation reduces it, a sentence. A pardon forgives a sentence. Now, from my study, all of these above forms of clemency do not clear one's record. For example, what, let me say this. I want you to get this. A reprieve, see, a, a, a reprieve, what it does is, is it's a halting of punishment. Clemency, I'm sorry, commutation, what a commutation does is reduces, a pardon forgives. And all of these things are good, but from my study of it, none of these 
will clear your record. Did you get did you get what I just said there? It won't clear your record. For example, when a criminal gets pardoned, let's say you get pardoned, you're a criminal and you get pardoned, even though you're forgiven of the crime, you still have to answer yes on a job application when asked if you've ever been convicted of a crime. You, you understand? So, so these forms of clemency that I just mentioned to you, the reprieve, the commutation, the pardon, as good as they all are, they, they don't wipe your record clean. You still have the record, you're just not going to be punished for it. Do you understand what, 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 what I mean there? So like if you fill out a job application, even though you've got pardon, you still have to note that you've been convicted. But that brings us to expungement, expungement. And this is a really, the really good one here. Expungement. Now listen to this. Expungement is not clemency. All these others were clemency that I mentioned, but expungement is not clemency. Now listen to this. In all the cases of clemency that I just mentioned, the person's conviction is not removed from the public record. Those seeking to remove a criminal record will need to pursue expungement. When a conviction is expunged, it is sealed from public view. It is erased in the eyes of the law. It is as though it never happened to begin with. Isn't that wonderful? It won't show up on a background check. And this means that if an employer were to ask you if you ever have been convicted of a crime, you, if you've been expunged, you can legally answer no on the job application. You see, you couldn't do that with these others. But if you're expunged, then you can. And there's no need for any kind of clemency because the crime is deleted from the record, from your record. Isn't that wonderful? Now, you didn't think you were going to come to law school this morning when you came to church. But, but it's very important because as you study the Bible, you see all these terms in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you see uh, one of them primarily. In the New Testament, you see, you see really, really all of them. It's really fantastic. So that's why I wanted to go over them uh, with you. And, uh, but, but simply put, if you're taking notes and that all kind of confused you, let me just sum it up. A reprieve delays, a commutation reduces, a pardon forgives, and expungement forgets. Okay? I'll say that again. A reprieve delays. We're talking about a sentence now where you're facing jail time or worse. Reprieve delays, a commutation reduces, a pardon forgives, and expungement forgets. I like the forgiven part, but I like the forgetting part even better. How about you? Now, the Old Testament, as you study the Old Testament, it's all about a reprieve. The Old Testament is all about a reprieve. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve broke God's law and committed high treason against him, they, as we've already said, they and all mankind were given a death sentence, including eternal separation from God in hell. Now, God, the judge, issued mankind a reprieve, which temporarily delayed man's punishment until something further could be done. Isn't it good that he didn't just throw Adam and Eve into hell right there? After they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them a reprieve. Now remember, he said to them, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely what? You surely die. Now I think it's good to note that mankind was not reprieved from physical death. Have you noticed that people die physically every day? We were not reprieved from physical death. The Bible says it's appointed for men or, you know, mankind once to die, but after this, the judgment. But mankind was reprieved from eternal death. This is why God made, have you ever heard of Abraham's bosom or paradise? And remember what that was? That was, though it wasn't heaven, but it was a place of comfort for the spirits of those who died in the Old Testament, 
who they died trusting in God. See, they didn't go to hell because God gave them a reprieve, but they didn't get to go to heaven either. They went to the place called Abraham's bosom. You can read about that in Luke, the 16th chapter. Remember, there was a great gulf fixed or a great cavern fixed on one side. There was hell, a place of torment. On the other side, there was Abraham's bosom. Remember that also known as paradise. And that's where all the Old Testament saints, when they died, they died believing in God and the coming Messiah, Jesus. They died. Their spirits didn't go to hell. Their spirits went into Abraham's bosom. It was a place of comfort. And you see, that was God giving them a reprieve. And that, that and that's exciting. Are you glad God gave man a reprieve? I, I sure am. But you see, that being said, after Adam and Eve sinned, now, now think about this. After Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we see them making coverings for themselves. Don't you, as you read the book of Genesis, you see that. But God comes in there and, and, and he says to them, essentially, the, these, these coverings you're making are not going to be sufficient. And he, he gives them animal skins. Remember that? And thus it showed a shedding of blood. God had to kill some animals and shed blood to get Adam and Eve covered, you see. And in the Old Testament, remember the Old Testament is all about a reprieve. In the Old Testament, God used the blood of animals as a reprieve. What is a reprieve? It's a delaying of judgment. It's a delaying of the sentence. It's a delaying. It's a temporary halting. And you see, God used the blood in the Old Testament. God used the blood of animals as a reprieve to temporarily cover man's sin until God could do something further about it. But you see, a reprieve is just that. A reprieve only delays punishment. See, a reprieve, as good as it is, only delays it. But eventually the punishment is going to have to be doled out. But again, God in the Old Testament used the blood of animals to cover man's sin. But the Bible is clear that the blood of animals cannot take away sins. It can only cover sins. And, uh, and it's clear that, it, that the blood of animals could only cover mankind's sins for a, a season of time. Remember, if something is covered, it can be uncovered. So, so the Old Testament... As good as the reprieve was, the reprieve is eventually going to run out. So that's when we move to the New Testament. And here John the Baptist declare of Jesus Christ. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now we have Jesus coming on the scene and he's going to do something to get us a better deal than the reprieve. Because we got these other words we got to get to, commutation, pardon, and expungement. So the blood of the animals in the Old Testament got us a reprieve, got mankind a reprieve. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, is going to come onto the scene. And remember what John said, John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Glory to God. So we're, we're headed for expungement, aren't we? Aren't you glad Jesus came? <laughs> Amen. All right. So he comes into the world. And uh, it's interesting when a political leader like the president or a governor issues a pardon. Now think about all they really have to do is some analysis, right? They have to analyze what the person did and are they worthy of the pardon or are they not? Just some analysis. And then all that the president or a governor has to do is take a pen and sign a paper. Pretty simple. But it's not that simple for God. God had to sign our clemency in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. It may not cost a president or a governor any more than a little ink out of his pen. But it cost God to get us these things we're going to talk about, this clemency. It cost God all of the blood out of the veins of his son, Jesus Christ. It cost him his dear son to get us clemency. We must never forget that. 
Let's never forget that. Um, The Bible says that we are bought with a price. Now, what is that price? Well, the Bible also says knowing that you were not redeemed or ransomed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Glory to God. So God gave his son as a spotless lamb who never committed one sin to bear our punishment and suffer the penalty of Adam and Eve's sin as well as all the sins of mankind. And of course, we need that good attorney and that good attorney is Jesus Christ. Now, if you would look at 1 John chapter 2, Remember, I told you we were going to need some good legal terms, which we've already covered. Now we're going to need us a real good attorney. And in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, uh, he writes here and he says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, well, that includes me, if anyone sins. So God doesn't want us to sin. But we know that we've all sinned. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is our advocate. And that word advocate, a lot of people don't realize this, but that is a legal term. It is a legal term. It, you know what it means? It means lawyer. It means counselor. It means one who appears on behalf of another. So Jesus has come not only as the Lamb of God, but he has come as our attorney, as our counselor, as our lawyer, if you will. And he's going to appear and do some things on our behalf that's going to get us clemency from Almighty God so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. And in verse 2, the Bible says here, and he himself, that's talking about Jesus, is the propitiation, another legal term, for our sins. What that word means is complete payment. Jesus is the complete payment for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. So Jesus comes on the scene as the Lamb of God, and He's going to do, as our attorney, He's going to make some appearances for us. Isn't it true? I mean, you know enough about the legal system to know that if you have a lawyer and your lawyer's there, you don't have to do any talking. Who does the talking for you? The the lawyer does. Is that right? And in fact, any good lawyer will tell you to hush and be quiet, and they'll say, let me do all the talking. Is that right? A lot of times people get in trouble when they do the talking for themselves. They need to let their lawyer do all the talking. You understand that? And so Jesus comes on the scene as our as our counselor, as our attorney. And he's going to do a whole bunch of good stuff for us. And I'm going to cover some of that right now. First of all, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a good deal, isn't it? We were supposed to die, but Jesus came and died for us. The Bible also says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. See, I was the unjust that was supposed to suffer for my sins, just like you. But Jesus, the just, came and suffered for us. And the Bible goes on to say that he might bring us to God Because, you see, he was put to death in the flesh. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he was bearing our sins. The Bible says that he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. Aren't you glad that he bore our sins for us? The punishment for our sins so that we don't have to bear them. And he did that on on the cross. I like what the book of Isaiah says. Uh, Listen to this. Surely he, talking about Jesus, see he's doing these things for us as our attorney. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to our own way. But the Lord, talking about God the Father, has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. I can say thank God for that. And you see what happened on the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that God the Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So our attorney, our representative, or an attorney is a representative. Jesus, our representative, went on that cross and did all these things I just talked about from the Word of God for us. Aren't you glad He did that for us? I'm so glad I've got a good attorney. His name is Jesus. So Diane, if I get in trouble, don't call Johnny Cochran. Don't call Jerry Spence. Call Jesus. All right? Don't call Perry Mason. Don't call, don't call Matt Locke or whatever. Call Jesus. All right. Glory to God. Can you say amen? <laughs> and because see, as our substitute on the cross, God the Father made him who knew no sin, Jesus. Think about that. Jesus never sinned one time. Not once. And that qualified him to be our attorney, see, who could represent us before Almighty God, before the Father. And as he hung on the cross for us, the Bible says in the book of Daniel that Messiah shall be, Jesus is the Messiah. He was cut off, but not for himself. Well, if he wasn't cut off, cut off from, cut off from, from what? Cut off from the heavenly father, but not for himself. Well, if he wasn't cut off for himself, who was he cut off for? For us, for you and for me. And as he hung on the cross... There came a time where he cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, when he said that, I'm convinced that's when God the Father laid all of the sins and the punishment for those sins upon him. And he eventually then, the Bible says, yield Jesus on the cross, yields up his spirit. His spirit leaves his body. And I could teach for hours on this next point, but I'm just going to just make it move on. But I think it's it's very vital that we say it here after his spirit left his body. It's interesting in the book of Acts, you ought to read it in the second chapter sometime. It's throughout the entirety of the New Testament. You can prove it from the old that when Jesus spirit left his body in Acts, the second chapter, you have the apostle Peter He's quoting David, the psalmist, as he quotes the Messiah, Jesus. And, and Jesus cries out and he says that he says to the father, you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you allow your holy one to see corruption. What happened? The Bible's clear. When Jesus died upon the cross, his spirit left his body and for three days and three nights, he went into the inner workings of the earth. He went into hell and actually, you can see it in the book of Romans where he went. He went into the lowest part of hell, into the bottomless pit. And he suffered there for three days and three nights. Let me ask you a question. Where were we supposed to go as a result of our sin? We were supposed to go on that cross. Is that right? Is that correct? We had an appointment in that cross, on that cross. And then we had an eternal appointment in hell itself. Do you understand that? So our attorney, our lawyer, Jesus came and he went on the cross and he died for us. And then he went in to hell and suffered there. And the book of Isaiah says at the end of that three days and three nights that God the Father saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. You see, it's very simple. Think of mankind as being a temporal being, and I think you can see that. Jesus 
is eternal. I think you can see that too. So think about the sentence that that God gave Adam and Eve and you and me for breaking his law. A temporal man was to suffer eternally in hell. So what happens here? The eternal Jesus Christ comes and suffers temporally, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. That is exciting when you grab a hold of that. I'm going to say that again. A temporal individual, a man, a woman, like you or me, is to suffer eternally in a devil's hell. Think about it. A temporal being to suffer eternally in a devil's hell. So what does God do? He sends the eternal one to suffer temporally for three days and three nights. And in that, the claims of Almighty God were satisfied. And I can say amen to that. And when the claims of God were satisfied, the Bible says that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. That word redeem means rescued, among other things. Christ has rescued us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. See, he became a curse for us when he hung on that cross as he suffered in hell. But on the third day, when the claims of a holy God were satisfied and met, that's when Jesus got raised from the dead. And remember, he's operating as our, as our attorney, as our representative. So when he got raised from the dead, praise God, we got raised with him. Glory to God. The book of Ephesians says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Glory to God. When we were dead and deserved hell, he came and did these things for us that we just talked about. And as a result, when he got raised from the dead, he made us alive together with Christ. And it was God's grace that did it. And then it goes on to say, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. And then after Jesus was raised from the dead, and a lot of people don't realize this, but it's in the book of Hebrews. You can read it in the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. The Bible says after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says Christ went into heaven. Let me just read it here. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands. Talking about the, the, the earthly tabernacle, uh, which were copies of the truth. But he went into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So after he was raised from the dead, Jesus went with, with his glorified body. He came out of that tomb on, on resurrection morn and he went. Remember Mary wanted to touch him. He said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. Remember that? He goes up into heaven. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. He goes up in, into heaven, into that heavenly tabernacle before the throne of, of almighty God. And, and he's there as our representative. You understand that? He's there as our representative. And the Bible also says that he didn't go with the blood of animals, but he went with his own blood and he obtained eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. See, he did that for us. He did that for us. Everything he did, he did for us. And he went into the heavenly holy of holies right before the throne of God on that heavenly mercy seat. And he presented his holy blood, not the blood of animals. See, the blood of animals only gave a reprieve. What Jesus did is he entered with his own blood and he presented that blood on the heavenly mercy seat. It was acceptable to the heavenly father and he obtained eternal redemption for us. The Bible says that God the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. We read that a moment ago. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we went from a place of being a sinner 
to being the righteousness of God in Christ, all because of what our attorney Jesus did for us. And, and, and I want you to look at Colossians, the second chapter now. And, and I want to use some of these other legal words that we mentioned. God granted clemency. I already told you what that means. See, when the Old Testament reprieve expired, as I've already said, God sent his son Jesus and through what Jesus did for us, watch this, Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. We already talked about that, but watch this. Having, for, having forgiven you all trespasses. Well, glory to God, that right there, that right there is a pardon. That right there is a pardon. Glory to God, God pardon us. Isn't that wonderful? And then, and then he didn't stop with a pardon. Watch this, verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, Glory to God. That's expungement right there. Glory to God. I, he not only pardoned us, but he expunged us. I've been pardoned and I've been expunged. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? So he, he verse 13 is the pardon. In verse 14 comes the expungement. So he not only forgave it, but he wiped. He not only forgave our sins, but he wiped them out. And, 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 and let me finish reading this, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Isn't that wonderful? Glory to God. So, so what Jesus did, I mean, we were facing eternity in hell, hard time in hell for eternity. Jesus came and did all the things we just mentioned. He, 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 he glory to God. He pardoned us. He expunged us. And glory to God, he commuted our sentence from eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? That's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> and then the Bible says, I, and I want to talk just a little bit more about this expunging. This expunging, you know, where it's wiped clean. Not only see, pardon is the forgiving, but the expunging is the wiping clean. But listen to this about this, this wiping clean. Let's just see how clean God's wiped the slate here. He says, I, the book of Hebrews says, for I will be merciful to, to their unrighteousness, talking about you and me, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. That is a good deal, isn't it? God says he won't remember them anymore. And, and, and he says, I'll be merciful. You know, God is merciful. Did you know, as I studied pardons, I found that the pardon is really at the discretion of the one who gives the pardon. And you know what? I'm so glad that God is merciful because our pardon and our expungement, all these things rely on his goodness and his mercy. And God is a God of goodness. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And he decided to, to give us clemency and, and a reprieve and a commutation and a pardon and, and, and an expungement, all these things. You know why he did it? Because he's good. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. But he says here on this expungement thing, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. That's exciting. And then the Bible says in the book of Psalms, listen to this. He has dealt with us. Now, listen, he has not dealt with us after our sins. How many of you are glad that God has not dealt with us after our sins? Why? Because he's good. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For that's good news. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Now watch this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now you see, uh, east from west, a lot of people don't realize. See, north and south eventually meet. But east and west never meet. So the good news here is, is God has removed our sins through what Jesus did and through the precious blood of Jesus. God has removed our sins so far away from us that we're never going to meet him again. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? 
And then in Micah, in Micah, the book of Micah in the Old Testament, listen to this. This, is, this one doesn't get read very much, but listen to this. He will turn again, talking about God. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and he'll cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. <laughs> Glory to God. I mean, down in the depths of the sea where nobody could find them. And you know, it's interesting. Now listen to this. This is really fascinating here. In the U.S. criminal justice system, an expunged crime, you know what expunged crime is? One that's wiped, wiped clean. Now watch this. In the U.S. criminal justice system, an expunged crime, though it's been sealed from public view and wiped away that public view can't, can't see it, but it can still be seen by the FBI or the CIA. But when God expunges our crimes, when God expunges our sins, not even the FBI or the CIA can find them. Glory to God. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Glory to God. Praise God. Now, let me go on just a little while longer. Just, just a few more moments. I think about Barabbas. Does anybody know who Barabbas is? He was that infamous and notorious thief, an insurrectionist, a murderer. Remember? Remember there where he, he, got, he got released and Jesus was taken. Remember that before Pilate? You remember who Barabbas is? You know, they said, released us Barabbas. Because there was a custom that one criminal could be released at that time, that season of the year, whatever it was, and and and, and Pilate was looking for a, a way out of not having to crucify Jesus. Remember, and and the crowd wanted Barabbas, and and Jesus got crucified. Remember who Barabbas is now? All right. Now, with that said, I think about him, that infamous and notorious thief insurrectionist and murderer who was in the prison of Governor Pontius Pilate. Barabbas was sentenced to death by crucifixion at 9 a.m. on the middle cross at Golgotha, the place of the skull also known as Mount Calvary. We need to remember that about Barabbas. He was a thief, a murderer, and he was sentenced by the governor to death by crucifixion at 9 a.m. on the middle cross at Golgotha, also known as Mount Calvary. Barabbas was like a modern day murderer, sentenced to death, facing the electric chair, sweating bullets, no doubt, waiting for the possible clemency call, the reprieve from the governor. Well, in Barabbas' case, the notice came from Pilate. And that notice came and said, Barabbas, you are being granted clemency, a reprieve, a commutation of your sentence, a pardon. And you'll not have to die on that middle cross. A man named Jesus is going to die in your place. You think about that. And I want to tell you, Barabbas is you and Barabbas is me. You know what I mean by that? We all had an appointment on that middle cross. That's where Barabbas was supposed to die. But listen to this. There is no further mention of Barabbas in Scripture. Now we know that he accepted Pilate's clemency. He accepted Pilate's, Pilate's pardon. We know that he did. Because we know he went free and Jesus went on the cross. So we know, now hang on this, listen to this, hang on every word. He accepted Pilate's clemency. He accepted Pilate's, part, Pilate's pardon. But I have to wonder if Barabbas ever accepted God's clemency, God's pardon. Did you get what I just said there? We know he accepted Pilate's, 
But we don't know if he ever accepted God's. We don't know if he ever repented of his sins and received Jesus Christ. You would think that a man like him would. The very man himself. See, he was a representative of you and me. Thieves and robbers and sinners. All of us were like Barabbas. We were supposed to go on that middle cross. He got the reprieve. Jesus went there in his place. He accepted what Pilate had to offer, but I don't know if he ever accepted what Jesus had to offer him. We don't know that he ever accepted God's pardon. Listen to this. In 1833, in the United States versus Wilson... The defendant, George Wilson, was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and putting the life of uh, a mail carrier in danger. And he was sentenced to death. Wilson, now watch this, Wilson was pardoned by President Andrew Jackson. However, he did not accept the pardon, but rather rejected it. The United States Supreme Court declared a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may be that it it may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered and if it be rejected We have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. As a result of refusing the pardon, Wilson was hung. Now you sit there and you think, how in the world could somebody like this guy named Wilson uh, reject or not accept such a pardon? And if you're like me, you would sit there maybe dumbfounded by that. Here's a man that's sentenced to death. The president issues him a pardon and he does not accept it, but he rejects it. And according to the legal court, the U.S. Supreme Court, they said that if if it's not accepted, let me just read it. A pardon is a deed. To the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. So Wilson rejected that and they hung him. How, forgive me, but how stupid is that? And we sit there and we shake our head. How stupid is, how, how dumb is that? All he had to do was receive it. All he had to do was accept it. And he doesn't have to be put to death. And that's what I want you to think about here. Millions of people die every day or however many people die every day. Hundreds of thousands. Without accepting God's pardon without accepting God's pardon through Jesus Christ without accepting God's expungement that he's offered through Jesus Christ think about that we shake our head at Wilson rejecting Jackson's pardon but people do it every day They die without accepting Jesus Christ, God's pardon through Christ. And they die and they go to hell. Forgive me, but I'll say it again. How stupid is that? Look at the book of Revelation as I close. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 12. John said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. According to their works. And sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, everyone, according to their works. 
according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Think about that. That's worse than being hung, isn't it? This is eternal. I said, this is eternal. Listen to this. These people did not accept the redemptive work of God's dear son, Jesus. Thus standing upon their own works, having rejected God's grace, his mercy, his clemency, his reprieve, his commutation, his pardon, his expungement. They rejected all that God, all the clemency that God offered them. And their names were not found written in the book of life. And therefore they were cast for eternity into the lake of fire. If you will not accept what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you will not accept what he did on the cross, what he did in hell. If you will not receive him. Then you're going to have to do what he did for you. Where do people go when they die without Christ? They go to hell. They reject what he did, so they have to go there for themselves. Oh, let's don't reject God's pardon through Christ. Let's don't reject his expungement that he's offered us through Christ. Let, let's, receive what Je let's receive Jesus, and when we receive Jesus, then we get credited with everything that he did for us. Let's don't be, I'll say it again, stupid and reject the clemency that God has offered us. Think about this. A presidential pardon frees from federal charges. A governor's pardon frees from state charges. But God's pardon frees from eternal charges. Glory to God. You say, well, how do I get freed from these eternal charges? I've already mentioned it, but I'll say it again. Listen carefully. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever trusts in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As many as receive Jesus. See, it's not enough for a pardon to be offered, expungement to be offered, but it must also be what? Accepted. It must be received, not rejected, but received. The Bible says as many as receive Jesus. Again, you have to receive him, Jesus, to get granted clemency by God. As many as received Jesus to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And then the Bible further says, but the scripture declares that we are all, we are all prisoners of sin so we receive God's promise of freedom, his promise of clemency, reprieve, commutation, pardon, expungement. How do you do that? By believing and trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you today, will you receive God's pardon? Stand with me if you would. Head bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed, speaking to people in this Sanctuary, people on social media. I, again, I want to ask the question. Have you received God's pardon? Will you receive God's pardon? He's offered it. A full and complete commutation of the sentence that is against you into hell. A complete pardon. Full and complete pardon. And total and complete expungement God has offered to every human being. All we have to do is repent of our sins and receive that pardon by saying, Jesus, I receive you. Come into my heart. And if you'll do that in the legal system of heaven, faster than I can snap my finger, everything that Jesus did for you, it's credited to your account. And on the record books of heaven, here's what happens. Your name goes into the Lamb's book of life. And all the sins that you've ever committed are wiped clean as though you've never committed one. And you are declared the very righteousness 
of Almighty God, seated with Christ in heavenly places. All you have to do, see, Jesus did the hard part. All you have to do is say, I receive you, Lord Jesus. Isn't that easy? So do that right now. If you're watching me over social media, just say, Jesus, I receive you. Come into my heart. If you do that with a believing heart, he'll come in there. The pardon will be be complete. It'll all be legal, legal like in heaven. And uh, and you'll never have to go to hell. You'll get to go to heaven when you die. And he'll make your life worth living in the meantime. Hey, it's been a privilege sharing the word of God with you today. Thanks for watching. God bless you. Bye bye.